So my wife, Ashley, and I had been married for about a week and a half, and we moved into this house that we had rented, a rental property down in Cincinnati. And if you've ever moved into a new place, you know that houses just seem to have that, like, new house creaks, like all those noises and things that they make. And if you're somebody who's, uh, like, ADD like me, like, those things drive you nuts for the first few weeks that you live in a house when the floors are creaking or the walls are making weird noises and the wind and all that goofy stuff. And I remember how creaky this house was when we moved into it. And uh, one night we're laying in bed and we're trying to get some sleep, and it's just not happening for me. I kept hearing... This bum, 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 like all throughout the night, just this bum, bum, bum noise nonstop. And then every once in a while, I'd hear bum, bum, swish, 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 bum, bum, swish, 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 bum, swish, swish. It sounded like someone's trying to make like a new band song or something going out in the room, and it's driving me crazy. And then every once in a while, I'd get this ding, ling, 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 ding, ling, ling, bum, bum, swish, swish, ding, ling, 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 all night long. So. I can feel like the hair on the back of my neck starting to rise up, right? My blood pressure is going crazy. I have got to figure out what is making these noises. So being the loving husband that I am, I decide I will let my beautiful wife sleep and I'll just figure out what these are with the lights off. Yeah, that worked about as well as you can imagine. I climb out of bed, I'm smacking into stuff, tripping over clothes, knocking things off the dresser, making all sorts of noise, and I get this deer-in-the-headlights look as my wife flips on the lights and goes, what are you doing at three in the morning, you crazy person, right? And she doesn't think I'm any less crazy when I go, honey, do you not hear the bum, 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 ding, ding, ding? No idea what I'm talking about, right? She slept through all of these things, but it's irritated me, and I have to know what these noises are. So I can see now that the lights are off, and I'm no longer blinded by the darkness. What is making these noises? And uh, our local uh, handyman here had tried to put an air conditioning unit inside one of our windows to keep it cool, and it was in, or put in wrong, so it's going bum, 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 and just shaking the whole time, right? Like I'm, this thing's almost ready to fall out of a window. And the breeze that is coming off this air conditioner is actually messing with a piece of paper and simply causing it to scratch against a mirror going shika, 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 shika. And then we have two little uh, orange cats and both of them have their paws underneath the door playing with a cat toy that had a bell on it going ding ling 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 right? So she is now seeing all these noises that I have. It doesn't make me seem any less crazy, but she understands that I was blinded by the darkness and it was just driving me nuts. Now my wife has gotten used to the fact that I get up in the middle of the night and do crazy things. It's what she signed up for. She's okay with it, kind of. Uh, but you guys can understand what that's like before, right? You've been blinded by darkness before. Whether you've been on a camping trip, whether you can't sleep like me or whatever it may be, you've been blinded by darkness. You know how hard it can be to see things in there when you don't know what you're doing, when you don't know what's happening or what those noises may be coming from or even what you can do about it. We know what it's like to be blinded by darkness. So if you have your Bible or you have your Bible app or the North Point app, pop it up here this morning. Uh, we are going to look at our main verse for this, se- this series, Hebrews chapter 11, verse one Hebrews 11, 1. We're looking every week talking about this idea of what is faith. And Hebrews 11, 1 says this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We talked these past few weeks about that confidence uh, section here, but I want to focus on the second part of this verse. Assurance about what we do not see. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 7 puts it this way. It says, for we live by faith not by sight. 
both of these verses seem to hit upon this idea of trust and blindness, that faith is trust in blindness. There's this idea that trusting in God, that having faith means following when we don't see what's ahead of us or in times when we don't understand what's happening or when we don't even know what we should do about all of these things. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at a by-faith character that had several different types of blindness in his life. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. Hebrews 11, 20 says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. Isaac is our guy today. Isaac is our by-faith character. But before we jump into what exactly this verse is talking about, I want to give you guys a little bit more background information on who Isaac is. Uh, We see in Genesis chapter 1 tells us that he is the son of Abraham and Sarah. If you've been with us the past couple weeks, Chris has been talking about Abraham and Sarah. This is their son, Isaac, and he is the one who is heir to the promise that God made to Abraham that he would enlarge his territory, that he would bless him, and that his plan of redemption and salvation would come through the lineage of Abraham. So this plan is to come through Isaac as well. Uh, we know from Genesis chapter 25, uh, it tells us in this like Nicholas Sparks-like story. Are there any ladies in here that like Nicholas Sparks books? Sorry, yeah, that's, I can see little hands. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is like a Nicholas Sparks-like story of how Abraham marries the beautiful Rebecca and that she was presented to him riding a camel over top of a hill from a faraway land and chosen specifically to be with him. So if you like Nicholas Sparks stories, check out the first part of Genesis 25. It's got all the feels. You'll love it. It's really good. Um, there, there, we find out later on that in uh, Genesis 25 that together Rebecca and Isaac have twin boys, two boys. And that's where we're going to pick up our story here. Genesis 25, verse 19 says, This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Hard words. But Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant, and the babies jostled each within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So she may be experiencing some type of intense labor pain or something like that, but she knows that something is going on inside her belly in this pregnancy, and she knows at the time that people commonly believed that there was an issue with pregnancy, that God was trying to tell you something. And so she's asking, God, is there, is there something I need to know? Why is this going on? What's with all this jostling going inside of me? And it turns out that she's actually right. Uh, verse 23 says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. The one will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, if you're Rebecca and you hear this idea that the older is going to serve the younger, like that's, that's kind of crazy to you, right? That doesn't seem to make sense because culturally, everything around you says that the oldest child, the firstborn child is the chosen child. They're the one that is going to take over for the family. They get most of the blessing. They get most of the inheritance. Like they are the most important child. If you are like the oldest child right now, you're like, yes, I agree with that. Totally. That's how it's supposed to be. I'm the baby of the family. We know better. We're loved more. So I understand. Yeah, there's a few more of you out there. Okay, so Rebecca is hearing this, this idea that the, the younger is going to be in charge, that the older is going to serve the younger, and it seems to be culturally backwards for this time and place in history. Look at verse 24. It says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. 
The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. See, every time I read this, I picture like a baby Wookiee being born right here. Like, Esau, right? Like, that's what's come out here, right? Okay, so I see that here, and I don't know, whatever. But uh, so there's this play on this words in the Hebrew language here that uh, Esau, his name sounds very familiar to the word red. And it was common at this time for kids to be named after something unique about a birth or uh, in reference to something to do with God. So we see that here again in verse 26. It says, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and so he was named Jacob. Once again, there's a play on words here in the Hebrew. The name Jacob looks like the word heel in Hebrew and becomes this, uh, this kind of phrase to be used to grab by the heel, which actually meant to deceive somebody. But Jacob's name at this time actually meant, may God protect. And so what we're doing is we're getting some foreshadowing on what's going to happen later on in the story in the lives of these two boys. Um, reading on, we see that Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. See, these twin boys are very different from one another. Esau is a rugged, headstrong outdoorsman who likes to be outside. He likes to hunt. He likes to gather and do things that way. And Jacob instead preferred to be closer to home. He was a homebody. He stayed amongst the tents. We can assume that he was probably more of a a shepherd or a farmer of kinds, but not a hunter. And we know that uh, Esau was preferred by his dad. He was, there was a man's man. He liked his, his son. He was, he was preferred by dad, but Jacob was a bit of a mama's boy. Jacob stayed close to home. Mom liked him. They spent time together. So these guys are very different from one another. They look different. They like different things. They have different personalities, and they live different lives. But before we get too far into Jacob and Esau, let's, let's stick with Isaac here for a second in chapter 26. We see here that God is going to renew his covenant blessing that he gave to Abraham with his son Isaac. Look here, verse 1 says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while. And look at this. And I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. See, this is a cool thing. God is reassuring Isaac that he is part of God's plan for redemption and salvation to come into the world. That God is going to bless Isaac so much so that all nations that he comes into contact with will be blessed because of Isaac and that he's going to provide for him and that he's going to protect him and he's going to take care of him and his descendants and he's got a future for him and that Isaac is part of God's plan. And that's got to feel good if you're Isaac. It's got to feel good to know that you're going to be provided for, that you're going to be taken care of, that you're going to be a blessing to others, that you're going to be protected, that no matter what, God is going to have your back and that all you have to do is to trust in him and to listen to him. And Isaac starts out well by staying in the land that God had told him to stay in. 
But that blindness for Isaac is getting ready to show up here. Look at verse 7. It says, When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is so beautiful. All right, guys, that ugly that we talked about in this series, it's showing up here. Here's where we begin to see the ugly. Isaac, who has just been promised that God is going to bless him, that God is going to protect him, is worried that he may be killed by the Philistines so that they can take his beautiful wife. So then what does he do? He tells them that that's not his wife, that's his sister, that's his sister. See, that, that's the part of the story you leave out of the Nicholas Sparks novel, right? Like, you don't put that part in there. I've only been married for four years to my beautiful wife, but if I went around and said, yeah, that's my sister, right? Right upside the head. She's not having that, right? That's not how you're supposed to go. That's not what you're supposed to do. So Isaac is, is doing this, and not only is he committing the same mistake that his father Abraham had done before, lying about his wife, but in essence, he is turning a blind eye to the promise that God has just given him. The promise that he's going to provide for him, that he's going to protect him. And Isaac is just turning a blind eye and ignoring that completely. See, that's ugly. That's ugly. Isaac is lying about his wife, in essence saying that she is available. Instead of protecting her and protecting her integrity, he's ignoring the fact that God said he would care for Isaac and care for Isaac's family. Isaac is blinded by self-preservation. Isaac is blinded by self-preservation. See, faith in God means assurance about what we do not see. It means trusting this path that God has put before us, even when we can't see where it leads, even when we can't see how we're going to get there. It's a blind faith, not to be confused with a, a foolish faith, but a blind faith that says, my trust is in God and in His way of leading and in His way of doing things and in His plan and in his calling, even when I don't understand it, even when I don't see where it's going. See, a lot of us struggle to have a blind faith because we have already blinded ourselves by self-preservation. God promises to never leave us, to never forsake us, to provide for us like he does the birds in the air, the flowers in the fields. He promises that he has a plan for us, to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future, and not to bring harm to us. But we can still be blinded by self-preservation. It's the reason that we do things like fudge our taxes or make shady business deals or we invest our finances in having more and more and more stuff so that we don't need God to provide for us because we already have. Now, is having money wrong? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. Having money isn't necessarily wrong. In fact, God promised here to bless Isaac so that all nations that he came into contact would be blessed as well. See, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Our money, our stuff, our resources, they don't belong to us. In fact, they are still God's. He's just given it to us to be the caretaker so that we can bless other people with it as well. It's the reason that we do things like tithe on our earnings, so that we can trust that God is still going to provide when we give up of some of the things that he's already given us. We do it because the world loves money and because we love God. And it's one way that we can show that we trust him. But it's easy to be blinded like Isaac by self-preservation when we become forced into this position that we have to truly take God at his word. 
So then what happens with Isaac and his sister, Rebecca? Verse 8 tells us, When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall be put to death. See, the word used here in verse 8 in the Hebrew means to laugh. And it has this, this implication that they're just caressing affectionately. There's some fun irony that the author puts together here and that he uses uh, the word to laugh. And Isaac's name literally means laughter. And he's caught by King Abimelech, in essence, laughing with his wife. One commentary I looked at said that Abimelech looked down and he saw Isaac just being himself with his wife. And they just, this king is able to draw this obvious conclusion that they're married. In other words, Abimelech looked down and he saw this and he said, dude, there ain't no way that's your sister. Okay, I got sisters and that don't happen. Okay, so you guys can draw your conclusions of what they were doing, but Abimelech knew when he saw it. So we have Abimelech here and he's the godless king of the Philistines. The godless king of the Philistines. And even he knows that Isaac is blinded by self-preservation and that he doesn't want anybody else to be guilty because of Isaac's poor decisions. So he decrees that anybody who harms Isaac and Rebekah is to be put to death. So that means that even though Isaac's faith was ugly, even though Isaac had been blinded and made the poor decision that God still provided, and he still used this ugly situation to protect Isaac and Rebekah and to be, remain faithful to the promise that he had given them. See, that's amazing to see how God can take our poor decisions, how he can take our ugly faith, and he can still work on those things in spite of us. So we can see here that Isaac still has more blindness as well in his life. Jump over to Genesis 27, the first four verses. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his older son, to him, My son... Here I am, he answered. So we see that Isaac has a literal blindness here in his old age. And Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now this seems like a pretty normal thing for a father to do. Isaac is, knows that he's getting older. He knows that he probably doesn't have much longer to live, and so he's trying to get his affairs in order. He's trying to pass down to his oldest child the right to lead the family. He's going to give him his inheritance. He's going to give him his blessing. He's preparing him for when Isaac passes away. Like Culturally, that seems to make a lot of sense. But if we look back to what God had told Rebecca when the babies were jostling in her womb, we see that God doesn't necessarily always listen to what culture dictates. God had told Rebekah that the older brother would serve the younger, that the blessing that God gave to Isaac would not be passed down through Esau, but rather was to go to Jacob. 
See, now the Bible doesn't tell us, or the Bible does tell us that God had told this message to Rebecca. It doesn't say that God gave it to Isaac. But I'm willing to bet that when Rebecca got a message from God, she shared that with her husband, as most spouses do as they talk together. And I'm sure that as the babies were being born and Jacob comes out grabbing the heel, Rebecca may have mentioned, oh yeah, hey, look, there's symbolism here. God and I actually talked before, right? So I'm sure they've had this conversation. They know what God's plan is. They know that God is going to do something different than what's done before. That Isaac is very familiar with this idea that God doesn't always work according to culture or what seems to be obvious. In fact, he knows that God chose to bless him instead of his older brother Ishmael, as we see in chapters before. But the thing is, Isaac favors Esau. Some commentaries even suggested that one of the reasons that Isaac may have liked Esau so much was because he liked the food that he brought back. He had a taste for wild game. He related more to Esau. He understood Esau. He preferred Esau. You see, Isaac is blinded by preference. Isaac is blinded by his preference. Isaac's ugly is that he's got blind spots in his life. Right here, uh, we see that even though God has revealed his plan, Isaac is still blinded by his preference, whether it was because he liked Esau more, because culture dictated that he bless Esau, or he just liked the food that Esau provided. Isaac has blinded himself from what God has called. And we struggle with being blinded by our preferences as well. It can be easy to get stuck in the norms of every single day that when God begins to call us to do something different, we don't even see it because we're blinded. I read a story uh, that Francis Chan had talked about a young girl that he knew that her dream was to become a doctor. She wanted to become a doctor incredibly bad, and so she did everything in her life to become the doctor. She got great grades in school. She went to a great college, went through years of studying, racked up a ton of debt doing it, but she knew, I want to be a doctor. This is what God has put in my life. This is the skills that he's given me, the passions that he's put on me, and I want to do this. And so everybody was excited for her. She finally got those initials, MD, at the end of her name, and she is ready to start her practice. But God put a different calling on her life. She felt God had instead now called her to be a medical missionary to a third world country. See, culture would have dictated that uh, she would open up a practice somewhere, she would pay off her debts, that she would uh, find a nice guy, and that together they would raise a few beautiful kids on a golf course somewhere. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that's not the plan that God had called on her life. It was different than what culture had preferred. It was different than even what her family may have preferred. But it was the calling that God had placed on her life. And so she decided to have assurance in a plan that she couldn't see, but that God had placed in her life. Now we see in Genesis uh, 27 that Rebekah and Jacob make this plan to deceive Esau and giving his blessing to Jacob or deceive Isaac to giving his blessing to Jacob rather than his brother Esau while he's out hunting. And they do this crazy thing where 
they, they kill a goat and they take his wool and they put it on Jacob's arms so that he'll feel like his Wookiee brother Esau and that they make him wear Esau's clothing so that he smells like Esau. He smells like outdoors. And then they take this goat's meat and Rebecca begins to prepare it so that it tastes like whatever it is that Esau's hunting for. I have no idea if that makes her like a really good cook or a really bad cook, but either way, she's manipulating this food to have a different taste on it. And so Jacob walks into Isaac, his blind father, and even though there seems to be some skepticism earlier when we read this, Isaac believes Jacob is his brother, and he gives him this blessing in Genesis 27, 27. It says, he went to him, and he kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be lords over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And that's as Isaac is trying to pass down the same blessing that Abraham got from God and the same blessing that he got from God, that it would be through his heritage and through his line that God would bring salvation and redemption and blessings to all the nations and that he would be above all those around him. Isaac is proclaiming God's redemptive plan through mankind should come through Jacob, even though he believes that he's blessing Esau, that Jacob is the one who gets the blessing, and that Jacob is the one through whom God will use just as God had told Rebecca. See, now that doesn't leave Jacob and Rebecca off the hook for their deception. In fact, we read later on that they suffer some harsh consequences for lying and for deceiving, but God's plan still comes through Jacob just like he said it would. Later in the chapter when Esau finds out he's, he's upset, He's obviously mad at his brother. He's heartbroken with his father and he begs and he pleads and he says, Dad, bless me too. Do you only have one blessing? Dad, bless me too. Bless me. I'm supposed to get this. And Jacob is, or, uh, Isaac is shocked at this. And it would make sense for Isaac to say, Hey, you know what? You're right. I'm going to take that blessing off of Jacob. I never liked that kid anyway. He's a little deceiver. Get him out of here. Esau, this is yours, buddy. You have everything. Jacob, we're, we'll beat him up together that stinking young child, that's, but that's not what he does. Isaac recognizes in this moment that God's plan was different than his plan. I don't know if he had a flashback to a conversation that they had with Rebecca about the younger leading the older. I don't know how it happened, but I can see that Isaac is deciding here, no, I'm going to give this situation over to God. I may have my preferences. I may have my way of doing things, but I'm going to trust in God's way. I'm going to trust in God's calling. And he does give Esau a blessing. He gives him a, a lesser blessing, that he would still be prosperous, but that he would shake loose from his brother's reign. But he's blessed both of these boys, giving their futures over to God's hands, saying, God, you're the one in control. It's according to your plan. Hebrews 11.20 told us that by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, in regards to their future. Isaac is illustrated as a by-faith character because he eventually gave his son's future over to God's plan. Isaac had blind spots in his life. He was blinded by self-preservation and blinded by preference, but ultimately he had faith that God would work through whatever blindness he had or whatever dysfunction may have been a part of his family and that God was still able to use him, even with his ugly faith, 
for furthering God's redemptive plan and salvation in the world. See, we all have our own blind spots when it comes to faith. We have things that try to hinder us or try to persuade us away from the calling that God has for us. We can be blinded by self-preservation and a desire to establish our own security, establish our own kingdom, to take the easy way, to trust in our own skills, our own abilities. We can also be blinded by preferences, by being tired of waiting on God and His timing, being discouraged when we see everyone and everything else doing things their way, or when God's calling just doesn't seem to make sense to us. See, we're called to be blinded by our faith and trusting in things not seen. Trusting in a calling or a plan that may not make sense, that may seem countercultural, that may seem risky, but it's the plan that God has called for our lives. We have the choice that we can either blind ourselves from God's plan and continue to stumble through life, or we can trust in the things not seen that God has put in store for us. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, that your ways are not our ways, that your plans are better than our plans, that you're stronger, that you're wiser, that you're better than us, God, that you know better, Lord. And God, we may have blind spots in our life, Father, whether it's through self-preservation, God, whether it's through preference or whatever blind spot we may have. But God, it's so reassuring to know that even when our faith is ugly, when we trust in you, God, you are still able to use us to bring your plan, to bring your redemption story, to bring your salvation into this world, God. That when we trust in you, you still have a plan for us, Father, to prosper us, to give us a hope, to give us a future, Lord, to share your son, Jesus, with our world, that you've, the people that you've put in for us, Lord. So, God, we pray that whatever blindness may be a part of our life, Father, whatever ugliness may be a part of our story or our faith, Father, God, that we would just submit to you, surrender to your ways, and have a blindness that says, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I trust in your plan, God. We love you, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.